Dr. Thais Ruffin, Director of Africana Studies and Professor of Africana in Education at the University of North Carolina, Asheville. Well, thank you, Dr. Ruffin, for joining us. And, and tell us about the conference that's taking place this weekend. It's, it's something that might be familiar to a lot of Blue Ridge Public Radio listeners. So tell us uh, what the conference is going to be focusing on this weekend and, and what, can, what can people who will be watching or being there in person, uh, can, what can they expect? Absolutely. This Saturday is the 8th Annual African Americans in Western North Carolina Conference. And the theme is Reparations, Revelations, and Racial Justice the path forward. We know that in July of 2020, Asheville City passed a resolution for reparations due to gross inequities in housing, health, and education, among other areas, that this has um, existed in our community um, from slavery to Jim Crow to redlining and gentrification, that we've had centuries of racial discrimination and inequities. And so reparations is for our community, right? It's deliberate and it's intentional. And it is a time for us to talk more about um, how do we move forward with an investment in the communities. Um, it's nice to have um, amendments or uh, amendments made it's nice to think about restitution, restoration, and reconciliation, but we definitely have to move forward with what do we actually do to show the investment in the community beyond those inequities, basically to upend and dismantle those inequities. I mean, think about it. Um, we have the resolution. We don't want it to be an exercise in futility, we start to think about how we actually honor the dignity and the humanity of Black people in this community that have endured centuries of government-sanctioned indignity and dehumanization. So this conference is moving us to a place of sharing insights, um, sharing knowledge, as well as the next steps. We have a powerful conference this year, one day only, but we focus on reparations in Asheville starting with Mr. Keith Young in an opening plenary address. Uh, Mr. Young is considered the architect of Asheville's reparations legislation, along with equitable policies in the city. So we're looking forward to hear from him in terms of next steps to truly realize racial justice. So once again, this notion of a reparation resolution by the city in July of 2020, and then um, the money that has been allocated in 2.1 million is great, but we don't want that to be an exercise in fertility. So we are looking forward to insights, knowledge, and next steps for upending racial inequities and towards racial justice, making a true commitment, um, an investment um, in Asheville's Black community. Um, after Mr. Young's, um, after Mr. Young's opening plenary address, we move into a panel to look at national reparations. What can we learn from other places? We have Lori Dector Wright uh, from Southeast Tulsa District 7. We have Robin Rue, the former Fifth Ward Alderman who served the city of Evanston, Illinois during the passage of the nation's first municipal funded reparations legislation. We have Sydney Scott, a student at Columbia, who is the founder and director of the Amendment Project, which is a grassroots organization advocating for reparations. So we have a student perspective as well, young adult perspective. 
And so that's great that we're going to have reparations across the nation to hear from a variety of speakers in other cities and other places and see what we can learn from those locations so that we can also continue to move the needle forward in our own community here in Asheville and Western North Carolina. We have other exciting topics after reparations in Asheville and across the nations. We have a panel on reparations for education justice. Uh, Matt, I'm sure you are very well versed in the fact that we've had pervasive inequalities in Asheville in terms of educational um, inequities, definitely uh, racial inequities in education. You know, in 2019, Asheville City Schools was cited as having the largest racial academic performance gap between black and white students in the entire state of North Carolina. Um, and at some point even rated as fifth largest in the nation as well. So with that, we have to move forward to say, yes, we understand that issue. We have problematized the issue. We understand that systemic, structural and institutional inequalities have deflated the power and promise of education for social mobility for Black Ashevillians, but how then do we actually move forward in a way that's in the spirit of education justice, where we make an investment in the community, but we also, we don't do this in isolation. This is reparations for a community where it is in partnership with community, collaboration, and with community-driven solutions. So our midday panel will feature Dr. Goldie Muhammad, an eminent scholar and the creator of an equity model for literacy. And then we have an educational panel featuring local education scholars, a school principal and a student. And so we know that that will be an exciting time to hear from them regarding next steps. What is it our community should engage in in order to actually realize educational justice to upend racial inequities in education for our community. We know that in 1887, Black Ashevillians were pivotal in the commencement of Asheville City Schools. However, as we can see the status of Black children and their academic performance in Asheville now, um, hmm, it's a far cry from the promise and aspiration of education that was held in 1887 when Black Ashevillians were the ones who pushed the vote and made it necessary to even commence an Asheville City public school system. Lastly, we have a panel on um, urban renewal, redlining, and racial injustice there with professors at UNC Asheville, Dr. Kathleen Lawler, Dr. Patrick Balls, and their students who have undertaken undergraduate research. We have the Black and Black on uh, Black exhibit, uh, spearheaded by a collaborative that addresses health inequity and making visible the invisible. And then we end with Professor Emeritus, Dr. Dwight Mullen, who will provide closing remarks. So it's gonna be a wonderful day where we are diving into reparations in Asheville, across the nation, looking at reparations for education and education justice, looking at um, urban renewal, redlining, housing, and its impact as we think about reparations and moving forward, and health inequity and making visible the invisible stories of African-Americans in this region as we look forward to racial justice. That's the key, that we can't have all of this work in Asheville be an exercise of futility. You've heard me say that once, but that is ultimately the 
purpose of this conference is how do we move beyond what we've already done with resolutions and appropriations and rhetoric to hands-on practical concrete solutions and practices that are community-driven that's informed by various sources, community members, scholars, and experts in the region and also outside of the region. Well, certainly a lot in there. So let's go into a couple a couple things. And first would be, um, you know, you said we're talking next steps here. What are next steps? I'm sure this is something a lot of people may have been talking about last year, too, because you noted the reparations resolution was passed in July of 2020. And we're now in November of 2021. And there's been a bit of movement, but there's still a lot of discussion. There's still a lot of committees. There's still a lot of study. So um, tell us what you're thoughts about where it stands right now and what would you say to people who are getting frustrated with this process Asheville made a lot of national headlines when this was passed but um, 18 19 months later whatever it is it's still it's it's in a step i guess that it's just very much a holding pattern right now it feels like yes i do think progress has been slow but i'm of the mindset that we are where we are right now, so we just need to build momentum. And I do hope this conference is an impetus for momentum as well, because we have local and national scholars and communities and experts engaged in an opportunity for us to say, now is the time to make the next step. We may have delayed a little bit, but now is the time to move forward. May this be the... Um, May this be the impetus for possibly our lack of inertia. However, I also believe that although there's been a delay, I think we also need to be flexible, that sometimes things do not always uh, move as fast as we'd like. And um, when there's delays, where does flexibility come in? And then where do we tap in to resources to build the momentum and get back on the right track? Because we do want this to be done with fidelity. And doing it with fidelity is important as well. So while I acknowledge the delay and believe there has been a delay, um, I do believe that there is no um, uh, road to say we cannot move forward, even with those delays, that we pivot. That it, now is the time to pivot and may the conference be that impetus for us to pivot, regroup, and have an opportunity to engage and listen and then act again. And the delay that has occurred on whatever end, I'm not gonna get into that argument of why and how it has delayed. I believe we all have to keep our eye ultimately on our goal and on the prize. Delays happen in an imperfect world when we have imperfect beings organizing things and how things follow maybe logistically. And so we have to be able to shift and say, okay, timelines do shift, but let's not get mired in the fact that the timeline did not move at our pace. Let's get back to the liberatory freedom fighting and the action-oriented collective that we need to do as a community to move forward. Because again, Matt, I, I don't know, and I, please edit, but I do want to emphasize that delays happen and fidelity is also key and that we can also use different platforms for us to move beyond our inertia and to gain momentum to keep forward and not get sucked into the fact that it's not moving, but what do we do to pivot? And pivoting is important. And I also believe that community engagement is key. You know, there's the saying, nothing for us without us, right? 
nothing for us, without us, it has to be by us. So with that saying, then we have to make sure that we wholeheartedly engage community in the process moving forward, even if it's not written in a legislative piece or a resolution or a policy or operating procedures and processes. You know, I've heard that lately that, well, we didn't have to engage community in this part because it's not written anywhere that we have to do that. But I would say if we have endured hundreds of years of inequity and a dehumanizing experiences around racial inequities and racial injustices, it doesn't always have to be written in a policy or resolution for us to act in the spirit of humanity and know that community engagement is vital. It's a, it's paramount. You, you said a word that I, I want to uh, focus on because I've heard it a lot really over this last year post and particularly looking back post um, post of the George Floyd protest or the protest that happened after his murder. And that's inertia. And, you know, that is the resistance to change, essentially a resistance to yes. uh, change in velocity. Um, how do we avoid that? right now, because I think there's a lot of places, a lot of institutions uh, in our region and our city and, and around the country that there's a lot of institutional inertia right now. How do we avoid that? Or how do we address that? Maybe that's a better question. How do we address institutional inertia? When I think of this notion of inertia or resistance to change or slow to change, again, the word futility comes up. I believe that in order to mitigate that, we have to continue to refer back to the plans that we've put in place and our commitment. Um, are we willing to actually follow through on bold steps? The, the resolution is a bold step with, with reparations, but we must do the work. We cannot simply rest with having ideals in our mind, ideals on paper. We must actually show and do, have the investment with robust actions, otherwise, we are not going to eliminate the I can't breathe and the knee on the neck tropes against the community, against Black Asheville, if we don't have that true investment. And so for me, keeping these things in, keeping these things in the conscious, keeping these things um, ever mindful, even if you have to open with the reparations resolution, every city council meeting and reading, even if we have it on the news on a weekly basis, we have to keep it in the forefront of our consciousness. Otherwise, it just again becomes rhetoric and it doesn't become real. It doesn't become actualized. So one strategy or solution is how are we keeping it in our daily consciousness? How are we reminding ourselves of our commitment and our investment? Otherwise, we lose that momentum, we're not reminding ourselves, there's no accountability, then we will remain in that state of inertia, in that state of, oh, that was just futility, it's just for performative purposes, it's just rhetoric. I don't see Asheville truly as a place of just being rhetoric, but I think, that if Asheville does not move with robust actions, with commitment in, in doing the work and investment, then Asheville will show me a different side. I'm watching, I'm looking to see if Asheville is going to show up as it said it would by passing the resolution, or is Asheville only progressive on paper and not really, really earnest 
or not following their due diligence to do this with fidelity and real action, commitment, investment for the community. And if Asheville cannot do that, we have continued with the dehumanization and the inequities. We are not doing anything to elevate and center and Asheville would not truly see Black Ashevillians as fully human. Okay, I just have uh, two final questions. Uh, and, and what you've written about uh, the reparations plan last year is is all the particular topics and issues were really beginning to be examined. You focus specifically on educational justice and the conference is doing that too. So take us through what educational justice means and um, why is it you want to focus on that? Why why is that something that uh, of all the ways that reparations um, need to be made and spent, what, what is it about educational justice to you? I think that really sticks out. Yes. So education justice is about equitable spaces, inclusive spaces where we provide equitable access and a quality education for all students, not just for some. When we look at equity, we're not talking about distribution that is rooted in equality where everyone gets the same thing. What does equitable access look like? Equitable access is about fairness. It's about support. It's about upending the dehumanization that has existed. So when I think about equitable practices, equitable justice, we're talking about curriculum as well. You know, when we look at curriculum, um, do we have an inclusive curriculum, a human rights-based education for every student that is a quality education? Not where I've walked in schools in our area sometimes as a student teaching supervisor, and I see the difference of the basic inclusion class to the honors class to the AP class. And I see how it moves from different racial ethnic backgrounds to by the time I reach AP classes, it has less and less, very few brown and black students in the class. So educational justice looks at curriculum as well, making sure it is inclusive and that it's a human rights-based approach where everyone has access to a quality education, and that that access is equitable with various supports and services for students to be able to thrive, that it is one that is anti-racist, and that it also is an anti-bias education. If students are in places where racist practices are dominating the school system and bias is deeply embedded, how do we expect students to thrive with things like stereotype threat looming, where students are actually afraid that they're going to um, meet the expectation of a stereotype that has been placed on them, where the school to prison pipeline and discipline um, is running rampant, and then we see the referrals rates and where students are placed out of school, therefore not receiving instruction. So when we're talking about educational justice, we're talking about those equitable, inclusive practices in curriculum, in discipline, but then also then in achievement in terms of how are students able to actually thrive in their setting, where they are on grade level, above grade level, where they're actually in places where barriers have been removed, where they're able to tap into and have their own genius nurtured 
and cultivate it where they're able to grow. Okay, terrific. And my last yeah. question is we're, we're still in the age of COVID. So for those who want to attend or watch this weekend, uh, what, 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 what opportunities are there to follow along with the conference? Please register for the conference via UNC Asheville's website, African Americans in Western North Carolina. Click on the link to register via Remo and join us online. The conference is free and open to everyone.